Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Today, I will be in conversation with Carrie Gonya and Mark Stevens. We've had many conversations before, but just to remind you, Carrie Gonya is a family constellation therapist. You can know more about her. I will put her website in the link below. Mark Edgar Stevens is a hypnotherapist. He's a therapist that deals with so many forms of traumas and uh, addiction. And today I'm asking them to try and describe and explain to me why do we all fear so much change in our lives, even though we know sometimes that what we are living is not the ideal life for us. We very often prefer to stay in what we know. We are going to try and elaborate this with you. We hope you will enjoy the conversation. Mark and Carrie, there is something that I keep really wanting to ask you over and over again, but I I know that every time you answer me about this question, there is a part of the answers you give me that make total sense and other parts that only make sense much later on. And I'm going to try and explain why. I've noticed that many people, it's not just me, are really scared of change. Anything that comes and shakes a situation that you live and you're in, even if the situation is very painful and toxic, if you have to completely stop living it and move to something different, there is a sense of deep fear that uh, creeps in. And I'm wondering why you would rather stay in a toxic situation that you know very well is toxic rather than jumping in the unknown. Is it something that everyone lives or is it something that you can explain somehow or just want to to hear your opinion again please there is a reason for it lara that we all have as humans the function of the subconscious mind is to keep us in what we know and so it's what allows us to be able to talk walk and chew gum at the same time it's what allows us sometimes to do very menial or regular daily tasks without having to think about it too much. We're actually working from an automatic pilot, a subconscious system. And so what the subconscious mind does is by keeping you in what you know, the subconscious mind believes that it is keeping you safe. And so that's why people sometimes stay in abusive relationships. It's sometimes why they stay in jobs that they don't want to be in. It's why they continue to live in areas that they don't want to live in. It's why they keep doing behaviors that they know, even on a conscious level, are not good for them. But they keep doing it because change is scarier for the subconscious mind than the idea of actually 
doing something brand new, something so completely different. Because if it's something that you know, it's something with which you're familiar, you can somewhat predict what's going to happen. But to be out of your mind, basically, not knowing what to predict, not knowing what's going to come up, that actually becomes much, much scarier. It's why you know, throughout civilization, so many people have stayed in what they know. So your subconscious mind is your helper in some ways. But unfortunately, when it comes to change and the fear of change, your subconscious mind is keeping you in what you know. I think it's the same with your family dynamics. And that's where I'm going to, you know, toss over to Carrie, because Carrie, I think you see that a lot too in the family dynamics and relationship dynamics. Yes. So basically, Carrie, this this uh, thing that Mark just described is exactly what happens when you live a trauma in a family and it keeps coming back because that's what we're used to. Yeah. And so many family systems are heavily programmed, right? Like all of us, especially the older generations, even if your family was toxic, they're your family. They're your quote unquote family. So we belong to these family systems more often than not through dysfunction. And so we're taught to fear change. We're taught to fear being different. Oftentimes, if you know, you hear the term black sheep a lot, the the person that steps out of the pattern, the person that breaks mm-hmm. some of these generational patterns or conditions, they're often the ones that are scapegoated or called crazy or gaslit. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's, it go, really goes back to the subconscious mind and the nervous system. If you grew up in a heavily dysregulated environment, that will feel normal to you. So then to step outside of that will your body will sense a threat. So if you are asking somebody to step from abuse to peace, oftentimes they cannot make that leap without clearing up some of that trauma and regulating their nervous system. And it also explains why often we will repeat relationships with the people that we choose in our lives. It's a replication of what we grew up with, what we watched our mother and father do, or how we experienced love with our mother or father, even if it was extremely dysfunctional or even abusive, we repeat those patterns over and over again, because as Carrie said, the body will actually physically feel uncomfortable by being outside of what it knows. Sometimes we would rather continue to be in a pain that is familiar than to be in something that is so unfamiliar and so not known. But when you're conscious of it happening, is that enough to break this or it's you still can be conscious of this happening and then this keep repeating because your responding comes from your subconscious? So you bring up something very good there. Is consciousness enough? No, it's not enough. It's the first step. It's the first step to be able to call it out to say, oh, I'm reacting in this way. This is the way that I usually react. This is This stimulus has happened, and in return, this is what I'm doing. And so consciousness is the first part of it. But remember, the subconscious mind, your automatic pilot, is still going to keep you walking in the direction that you're used to walking. Even if you say there there is that uh, story about walking down the street and there's the hole, and Mm. the first time you fall in, you don't know that it's there. The second time you're walking, you know that it's there, but you kind of forget where it is and you fall in anyway. The third time you're walking down the street, you know exactly where it is and you fall in again because it's just what's become your repeated pattern. 
And then the next day you're walking down the street, you know, it's there and you walk around it. And then the next day you take a completely different street. So it takes a little while to be able to recondition or repattern or create a new habit that is different from the old habit because the subconscious mind will want to keep you moving in the same direction that you've been moving. Consciousness is part of it, one of the steps, but then you have to take action action and behaviors that are different from what you've done in the past. Yeah. Yes, Carrie? Yeah, I always tell people, if you have a pattern that is repeating for more than a year, two years, something is stuck within your family system. Something is stuck in the subconscious mind. Because like Mark said, it's almost like you have blinders on and I just see people loop all of the time. So awareness is power, right? That consciousness is power, but you have to take action with the consciousness. And sometimes people don't because they're so habituated to those patterns. This is where I, sorry, I'm just going to be repeating myself, but I'm so deeply interested in that. I mean, this is the part that you've just said that's really puzzling me. People know, people know what to do to stop the suffering and they yet don't do it. I mean, how, what is it? Is it like a, um, a, a programming to keep suffering or, or if you know what you have to do to stop this pattern of suffering and struggle, why would you choose not to? I mean, I think it goes back to the question of your podcast, the fear of change. I see that all the time. Like people want to shift. A, they don't know how. B, we're just now seeing all of these tools and the science behind the tools and even the science behind energy work. So I think there is more help available to us now, but some people in in my work are absolutely afraid, again, to step outside of what they know, because specifically to family systems, will they still be recognized if they have the big, beautiful, easy life? You know, if mom is struggling with XYZ and the daughter doesn't struggle at all, will she still be able to recognize her as her own? Will I be loved? Will I be safe? Like, there's a lot of fear in breaking some of these patterns. And moving into the neuroscience of it, uh, Lara, is that the way that the brain connects, if you've always made the same connection, the neural pathways will want to continue to make those same connections. And so even if consciously you know that there's something else that's better for you, as Carrie was was saying, there are so many things happening in the brain connections. Will I be loved if I don't do this? Or here's the big one. If love showed up to you as someone who is highly critical and you're choosing someone to partner with in your life that's highly critical, even though you know, gosh, that was just like my mother or just like my father or or whoever it was that, that was that was raising you from the time you were a child, that is still familiar. It still feels like love, even if you know that it's not love on a conscious level. All of those years of conditioning, all of that that was happening in the brain, it's still recognizing it as a familiar pattern. And we would rather stay, as humans, we would rather stay in something that we know and that's familiar than have to break out of it. Because as you said, in the name of this podcast, the fear of change, it's that fear. Because the fear is, what if I lose everything by stepping into something so completely unknown. We are mm-hmm. so afraid of the unknown, which is why it explains, you know, why, you know, throughout generations, and again, this is Carrie's work, but generationally, why do we keep repeating those patterns? Why was something that was similar to our 
parents five, six generations ago. Why is that still happening? It gets passed down. It's a learned behavior. Uh, there's a a musical South Pacific. And in the lyrics, it says, you know, you've got to be carefully taught. I quote that quite often because we're not born to be prejudiced. We're not born to be fearful. We're not born to be these things. We learn them as we are going through life and we learn it from our primary caretakers. You must be carefully taught. And that's why we keep repeating these patterns over and over and over again. It's Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I want to piggyback on that just quickly. So I can do, they call it aspect work in family constellation therapy. So I can put in the energy of all good things, really positive affirmations, things that the client wants, or put in, you know, all the trauma survival energy. 10 out of 10 times, the people will stand in the energy of what they want, what they came to me for, what their intentions are, what they want their future self to be, and it will feel awful. And then they'll stand in the energy of trauma, wars, survival, abuse, addiction, and they will all the time, oh, I feel so good. I feel so happy. I feel so peaceful. This is me. And it's the trauma because their body, their nervous system is primed to feel the chaos. It's interesting. It fascinates me, you know. And, and they, they, they feel comfortable in that because that's what they're they've been programmed or imprinted with it's all they know and in my work sometimes for multiple multiple generations if that's the energetic set point of your family is to lose your money lose your house lose your kids whatever whatever those examples are Mm -hmm. you become habituated to that level of survival and it just Mm -hmm. your body feels like it's normal this is this is what it's like in my family. Yeah, and then you keep repeating. And then you keep repeating. And, uh, this the what forbids you from um, moving out of this trap. I want to call it is uh, uh, it's the fear of whatever else is coming because you don't know what it is. And w- would, would the antidote of that fear, like what, like if you just decide. Okay, uh, because we we all know, I mean, all three of us have discussed that so many times. If you defeat fear, there is really very little that would stop you from from anything like trying, um, uh, trying things that, you know, would make you happy, uh, be involved in a, in a relationship that you, you because sometimes you don't because of fear of suffering or fear of losing or fear of not being loved, etc. So the courage is, is really what we need when we, we start doing this work is to just have some courage to, to say and trust I'm just trying to find the what do we need to to embrace and have more of to try and step beyond that line that keep us repeating the pattern of our our, our prison uh, basically because I I see it as a, in, as being in prison constantly and over and Lara, over repeating. There there is something you said here. Yes, there is courage, but I I want to play a little game with you. Um, because you're going to answer the question now. Um, so there's something that gives all of us courage. I know you to be a mother, a very dedicated, very loving mother. Mm-hmm. I want for you to name to me, what do you think is the scariest animal? If you met an animal in the wild, what would be the scariest animal you would meet? 
Uh, oof, that's a difficult one. I would say um, I would be scared of a very fast and fierce one. So maybe a lion. Okay, a lion. Yeah. So let's say, so the thing that you're most scared of a lion, and if you run into a lion on your own, you would have a reaction that would be extremely fearful and you might take a certain behavior. However, if one of your children, when they were small, was with you, and that lion came upon you, what would you do to protect your child? I would uh, push them away and face the lion mm-hmm, myself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, so, so what is it that you feel for that child? I fear uh, death, um, suffering. No, what do you feel? What do you feel? I feel, for what sorry, do you feel? fear. I think yes. fear. Uh, I, I, I feel uh, protection. Like I want to protect them. I want to mm-hmm. protect them, save them. Mm, because them. what's happening you 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 have what for them the feeling that you have for them is what love it's love it's love yeah. love is what gives us the courage to be able to break it but the love has to be so strong so the love for ourselves yeah. the love for um those that that are around us sometimes even the, the love and please hear it with a huge grain of salt but the love even for our enemies and that doesn't mean oh i love them so i'm going to keep putting myself through the abuse i love them enough that i'm going to to move myself out of this situation. So that, and that's a really big, you know, and I've not mastered this one. I'm just going to, you know, really, mm. I have not mastered this one, but to love so much someone that continues to hurt or cause you pain, but to love yourself at the level that you say, I'm going to do this because it is good for them because they have to learn whatever they have to learn but mostly I'm doing this for me. And we would do the craziest things in life for something that we love that much that sometimes we wouldn't do if it was just us in survival mode or fear mode. We might stay in the same place. But if we love so deeply, you said, what's the antidote to the fear? And it really is. It's the love. You would face down a lion if that Mm -hmm. meant protecting your child. But if it was just you on your own, you might not. You might run. You might try all sorts of other things, okay. but you might actually scare the lion. You might actually push the lion in the other direction. And by the way, it is documented what mothers have done to protect and save their children. Like that, what what women have as mothers is like one of the strongest, bravest, most courageous things because it comes from love. Love is stronger than fear. Okay, so uh, there's something here that I really w- would like to um, ask you because when I hear you say that and I briefly think now in that second of all what's going on in the world now, there is something that comes as like, I think we we m- human in general we don't know how to love anymore. We don't know. We, we, we seem to have forgotten how to love or uh, are we able to love? Because I know you have to be able to love yourself first to, to love others. I know it's maybe different with children. I mean, that's my personal experience. You know, when, when you have a child, you don't have to think of, you know, it's just something. I can't speak for all mothers, but I can certainly speak my experience and many mothers I've lived with and 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 observed. There is, 
you don't even think there is something that in completely invade you and it's more powerful than anything you've experienced. But uh, unfortunately, life is not just mother and children. You know, it's not just that. It's so much more. And it doesn't come so naturally and automatically with other people or other things in life. So is there something in our culture and society that has changed our ability to love, you think? I read a really interesting post this morning, and it was very kind of all of family constellation therapy. It wasn't meant to be, but there was like a lot of generational kind of undertones. And there was this man... uh, talking about his dad and the rage that his dad had. And so he grew up being screamed at. He grew up being hit for no reason. And now he has a little boy. And I think the little boy is like eight or nine. And the little kid is just all love. This little kid is just kind to everyone. And he was remarking about how he doesn't see the rage in the child that he feels within himself, that he noticed with his father, that he noticed with his grandfather. And then at the end of the post, he was like, I just, I have to toughen him Mm. up, but I can't. He's too Mm. kind. He's too loving. And I always tell people, we are not born monsters. We're not. We come into the world, we're still connected to source, universe, God, whatever you want to call it. I'm like, we are taught to hate other people. We're taught to fear. We're taught to be violent. Like, would you agree, Mark? I mean, that post was so fascinating to me where it's like he could trace where it started or where he witnessed it. And then this little kid is like, no. (laughs) Well, and, and so not only do I agree, but we also, we have someone on this call that I think whose whose mission in life really is to spread love at like such a huge and high level and that really is carrie um it's one of the things i think that carrie carries around and it can even be can Mm. feel dangerous to love at that level and to give love at such an extreme level and yet when we take a look at this particular moment in our our human evolution the thing that we need more than anything right now is the feminine and the strong, strong feminine. Strong feminine is love that is going to love no matter what and love that's going to love so profoundly and so deeply because the masculine energy, although also very necessary and very needed, it is a balance. Right now, we've gotten so far out of balance with that feminine energy that it is only the power of love, the strongest power, stronger than fear, stronger than brutality, stronger than all those other things that's going to bring us back into balance. But the thing that you said, Lara, is have we lost the ability to love? I don't believe we've lost the ability to love, but we have certainly prized and prioritized other things over that ability to love. Um, people who care for the family or people who care for another person, people who care for even a piece of property or a tree or a garden, they are not considered the owners. The person with the um, their signature on a contract, the person who has the bank account, the person who has the power, they are considered the one that is in charge of it. And we have prioritized and made that more important than the caretakers and those who are loving at such a deep level. And though that those that would be there and they would do it not just for the money, not just for the dollar, not just for the ownership, but because it's out of true, pure love. And so right now, I believe that there's a balancing that's having to happen on this earth plane because we got so far yeah. out of balance with that. And it is our extreme lovers, our people who carry that signature at such a huge level, like Carrie, 
you know, and I do, Carrie, you and I have talked about that. I, I think that this is the time for those lovers to be seen. But think about this also. How dangerous was it for people to speak about love? Look at all of the major religions. All the major religions, when someone came through and they were speaking about love and speaking about the power of love, they got persecuted, they got killed, they got ridiculed. Um, and even as I'm saying this, like someone might listen to this and go, oh, there's another one of those mm-hmm. people talking about love, 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 love. And I work in the corporate world most of the time. And I can tell you what they're wanting more than anything is a sense of love. And I work with a lot of people who provide care, provide health care. And what they want is to split, put some love into the world, some put some care into the world. And sometimes it's the business or the dollar that's in the way of spreading love at that greatest level. So that's my take on it. Carrie, I will not speak for you, but that is the way I think of you. I think <laughs> of you, you as a lover yeah. in this world. <laughs> Me too, and it's Carrie. hard. It's hard to it's hard to be a lover. It's funny though, a couple weekends ago I was at my base uh, my nephew's baseball game and my mom and I were walking to the restroom and this little boy just walked up to me as if I was his mother. And so he wrapped his arms around my legs and just kind of looked up at me and he couldn't even talk. He was tiny. And so I just kind of rubbed his head and was like, Hey, buddy, like, do we need to go find your mom? Like, I'm not your mom. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave me alone. Like, he just was like, I want to go with this lady. And I'm like, cause again, we're, we we're born knowing the, the light workers, the safe ones. Like, yeah, he was so cute. My mom was like, do you know this child? I'm like, nope, he's, he's, he's an old friend of mine, an old soul of mine. Um, but he I know he recognized you. me. Like, I know there was some yeah. some lifetime that we shared together, and I know he recognized that love energy. Yeah. Wow, the Beautiful. little girl that was watching him was terrified. She was like stranger danger, but the little boy wasn't. So, <laughs> but yeah, Laura, I I just think love is medicine, mm-hmm. and I think we've been taught to fear the medicine. You know, there's so much potency in kindness. And it was interesting when I saw that post this morning, there was two pictures. There was a picture of the dad like sitting on a stoop and the little boy was next to him. And then the second picture, the little boy was like under his legs with his hands on his face and just emitting love. And I'm like, man, that dad's little boy needs that kindness. You know, I don't know. It's, I think we've been taught to fear the love because we know the power of it. So that again is what we were saying before is we we are born completely into that love energy, but then gradually we learn and we we observe um, this lack of this feminine energy that uh, Mark was talking about. We we grew we grow up, um, you know, fearing that or not valuing that in the society we 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 live in because it's either dangerous or. Uh, not successful enough to be in that energy or whatever. And then this is how the imprint continues. So it's, it's really difficult because when you're at that age, when you're young and you start being influenced and programmed by it, you don't even know, you don't realize you are and you, you, you can't act. So it's, it comes further down the line when you're older and you start realizing that, I guess something is not right in the way you're acting. And that's when you have an option and a choice to make a decision to break the pattern and just decide to respond differently. 
is that you know accurate what i'm i'm saying or it's it's a bit strange but it's accurate what you're saying because you have to remember that when there is the experience of love being broken either because someone that you love dies or mm. someone that you love disappears or they're they're no longer there you know if it was life partners and you lose that life partner people say love hurts it's not the love that hurts it's the change in yeah. the way that it was being expressed because you no longer have that person or that person left or you invested so much into that person. And so we say, well, love hurts. So then it becomes dangerous to love at that level. Mm. It's actually not love that hurts. It's the break in it. It's the it's the disappearance of it. It's the withdrawal of it. It's it's, it's again the fear of the what's coming mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. It's the, yeah. it's again yeah. the fear of change because yes. if you if you allow if we would allow and accept these changes, these interruption, then we would have time to observe that things will come in a different way and will make you feel good again. It's a little bit like uh, when I hear um, Michael Singer talk about um, how human beings are just judging any change rather than just accepting the change and try for a second not to judge it. Like, you know, I don't know, we just see... uh, we say when it rains, oh, it's so annoying, it's raining. But why? why? For, for so many reasons, this rain is so needed and essential. And so it's, I mean, obviously, I'm not comparing losing somebody you love to the fact that it's raining. But if it's the same concept of just acceptance, if you start accepting that that's the course of life, and allow for this change to happen to you, would you think it would be easier for people to uh, live change? I think we've really been conditioned not to feel, right? Like, Mm -hmm. don't feel your emotions. Don't, you know, that's where the judgment or the restriction or whatever you want to call it comes from. And so I think there's so much power in Yeah, like Mark said, processing out, okay, I feel so awful because I lost this person. And like, it's because of all the love. I think that's the part that gets missed, you know, and Mark's right about the feminine masculine polarity. We've, especially for women, we've been conditioned to be in masculine energy. Don't feel bitch that it's raining, like, you know, keep it moving, hustle, whatever. And so I think there is a balancing that is happening now. Yeah. Yeah. Lara, there was a point you made earlier in the conversation when we were talking about what's the antidote to fear when we were talking about courage. And so it really is having the courage to love no matter what. And again, love no matter what doesn't mean you stay in the same situation. In fact, it's the opposite. Love is that you love yourself enough that you're going to move into really what is best for you. And so along those same lines, being brave enough to love again, being brave enough to love, even if your plans, your big plans in life have changed. You didn't get what you wanted. There's this great disappointment. But as, as we've talked about so often, certainly in my life, 
some of the biggest disappointments were the biggest opportunities. And it's the labeling, the judging of it, as Carrie mentioned, that gets in our way. Because if I say it's raining and that's bad, now the whole day could be bad. But if it's raining and I go, oh, how wonderful. We needed the rain. I can stay in. I can cozy up. Oh, you know what? I'm going to have a fire and I'm going to sit by the fire. And you know what? I'm going to have some hot cocoa. And all of a sudden it turns into something that's really wonderful. My thing that I constantly remind myself and I use in my work is it's not the external experience that is so important. It's our internal response to the external experience because the external experience is going to happen. If I judge it, as bad or wrong or the most awful thing, I'm going to live that experience. But if I can find in it the blessing, if I can find in it and say, maybe this is all working in my favor and I just can't see it yet. And by the way, it, from everything from uh, car accidents, which worked in my favor at the moment they happened, I was like, oh, this is the most awful thing. But then it turns into this beautiful blessing to, oh my gosh, I'm late and I missed my plane. Oh, because I'm supposed to meet this person and sit in the airport for a few hours and have this conversation. Uh, you know, these things, they, they, they do, oh, you lose that job, that job that you thought you needed, but because you lost that job, you went in a new direction. Each one of these things that happens in our lives, it's not for us to decide, is this good or bad, right or wrong in the external experience? It's for us to have the internal experience that can see it as an opportunity, as a blessing, and have the courage to love it, no matter what it is. And again, it doesn't mean that you're staying in something that is not good for you. It means that being able to see it clearly enough that you can make the best from it and move on to whatever the next step is. Yes, we have so many examples of people having had a major interruption of whatever their lives was. And it it was seen as a tragedy. And then you look down the line a few years and you see that their life was actually turned out to be much better and more, what's the word, like more, you know, less toxic than what it was before. But as a human being, I've, I always notice that we, I, I catch myself saying, instead of saying, oh my God, I'm going to keep that example in mind and just trust when something bad happens that it might turn into a great thing for me. You tend to say, oh, but that person is was so lucky. It doesn't mean that that's going to happen to me. You know, and you, you, I think this is the, the default way of thinking that one has to remind himself to just remember that you attract, you attract the way you're feeling right now. So if you feel that that's going to be in my advantage, then most probably you will attract something better for you. And I know the concept is very hard to to understand or to apply, but I think if we keep repeating it, then people will just trust and would want to try it. Lara, there's something there's something key. There's something key in this. So for anybody that might be listening that goes, oh, here they go. They're talking about that magnetize, yeah. you know, attract what you want. So so for anyone that's listening that doesn't quite get that, you can also play the neuroscience yeah. part of yeah. it, which matches that completely, which is whatever the mind is looking for, that's what it will find. The mind is mm. like a Google. Yeah. It, whatever you mm. put in that search engine, it will find. And if you say disappointment, believe me, you can look around and go mm -hmm, be disappointed. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got 
well, I got that luxury car, but it's not the color I wanted, you know, and then the rest of the time owning that car is all about how bad the color is. Or, yeah. well, I got the house that I wanted, but, you know, it's it's in the middle of the street rather than on the corner. And I wanted a corner. And now you've made the house wrong. So you can find disappointment. You can find uh, upset. You can find anger. You can find sadness. You can find grief. You can find it if that's what you're looking for. But you also, if you focus on, here's this thing that's happened. Let me look for the opportunity. Let me look for the blessing. Let me look for why this was something that was good for me. Let me look for how this is going to change my life. Let me see what this has brought. It all depends on the mindset. And the mindset is either going to look for it to be bad and wrong, or it can look for it to be an opportunity, a blessing, something that's leading you to your next step. And it's all mindset. So when we talk about attracting, you absolutely attract it because your mind is going to look for and find what it is look there's even there's an experiment hold, hold on i'm going to misquote it so uh but look it up on the look it up to to uh, verify it but there is a study where people say okay we want you to look around the room and identify everything that's red okay now close your eyes okay now tell us all the things that were red and then someone says now how many things in the room were brown and people hmm. they can't really remember and then when they open their eyes they realize that some of the things that were sort of not really red they made red in their mind, or there were more things that they listed as red than mm. were actually red because what the mind is doing is it's looking for what it's, it's, it's going to find and it's going to interpret what it's looking for. So that is the crazy part about it is, and, and I say crazy because the mind is this beautiful tool if we use it to our advantage, yeah. but the mind can make everything bad and wrong, or it can make it a beautiful yeah, opportunity. Yeah. It can make it loving, but that is all mindset. That's bringing something back to my uh, <laughs> list of questions. So I know for a fact that sometime I got very irritated by these concept of being positive and saying mantras, you know, like I am powerful, I am rich, I am lovable, I am, you know, these mantras to attract, like we're just saying, to magnetize this. But actually I realized down the line of my the works, I've been working so hard on myself to try and understand, you know, um, the I just want really to live the best version of me, Mark. And Carrie knows that very well, because <laughs> I keep asking her all sorts of questions to just make sure that I'm enjoying this lifetime, learning the best I can learn to live the best quality of life, which for me, the best quality of life is being super grounded and not be completely derooted by external events happening to you. Like, of course, feel the feelings of what they're bringing, but it doesn't change the core of you. It doesn't make you forget who you truly are. So down the line of this attraction mantras, etc., I realized that if you say something, but unconsciously in that part of your mind, like you explained, Mark, you, you completely believe the opposite. You're going to still attract the opposite. So how do you explain that to listeners and how do you shift that? Because that's the most difficult part. Is not you can say things every day. I have a list. I can't tell you. I have one. I wish I could turn my laptop to read you what's written on every wall in this room. But there are some days where I completely believe I am the opposite of what's on this paper. And I can't explain to you why and how. All I'm asking you 
is to tell me is there a way to shift that like this feeling rather than saying so lara what you're describing in this is i'm saying one thing but i'm feeling something else and you're absolutely right whatever it is that you feel underneath it that is still what you're going to attract and the subconscious mind is keeping you in what you know just like we were talking about so you know, let's mm. not change too much. So there are a few different things that you can do, a few different tools. And, you know, we're all about these tools and tips and techniques. And one of them is that you keep saying it enough until yeah. you finally believe it. But in this particular case, we're saying, here's this one day and I'm saying it and I really, really don't believe it. Here's another something to try. And this goes to the opposite side of it. What if in that moment you completely embrace, yeah. you know what? I don't feel that way. And I am going to love yes. that part of myself mm. that doubts every bit of this. You know what? And I actually do this. I pull up a chair and I, I, I'm still doing this. So I, by myself, there's mm. not a room full of people watching me, but I will pull up a chair and I will talk to that part of myself that feels scared, that part of myself that feels doubtful. And I will love that part of myself, the part of myself that says, who do you think you are trying to make the world a better place? You know, what a narcissist to even think that like there's anything you can do to make the world a better place. And instead, I look and I go, you know what? I understand. And I will talk to myself. I understand that you feel that way and understand that that's what you're feeling right now. And I love that part of you. I absolutely love that part of you. And in loving that part of myself, I start to feel better and better and better. And then the third mm. tip, and the third. So talk to that part of yourself and love it. And then third tip and third technique. And this is probably my favorite one. And this really is the thing that changes it. Laughter. Laughter breaks the spell of morose, of grief, of hurt, of pain. Laughter will break it. And we go, well, how can you laugh at a time when you're not feeling good? Find the funniest moments, the funniest things, the funniest <laughs> movies, the funniest memories, the funniest anything, and have it ready, like ready to play, whether it's YouTube, your computer, your whatever. Yeah, and yeah. you play it. And for just 10, 15 minutes, just be in this thing that's going to make you laugh and you will feel differently. That helps you come back to a better feeling place. After accepting that part of you, you, you laugh because it's important to embrace it before you uh, distract yourself from that feeling, right? I think that it's always important to honor what you're really feeling. Yeah. And I know yeah. Carrie talks about this in the generational work as well. Yeah. You've got to feel it first because if you don't feel it first, then you're just putting a Band-Aid over something that has an exactly. infection. So yeah. you've got to go ahead and feel it first, but then allow yourself to move to that better, not best feeling, but better feeling place, but you've got to recognize yeah. it first. Otherwise, it's just being dishonest with yourself. Carrie? I, I, I have an allergy to the do an affirmation and your life changes tomorrow. Like I have a big response to that because I get the people yeah. that come to me in tears, full body shame. Carrie, I've been doing my affirmations for a month. I've been doing mirror work. I've been doing all of these things and I still feel awful. I still feel like I'm not good enough, whatever. And I'm like, you have to get to the root of where that originated. And sometimes it's like Mark said, it's like sitting with that, sitting with the inner kid, sitting with those parts of us that are like, you're an imposter, you're a narcissist, you're whatever, you know? And affirmations are awesome. I do them too. And you have to be kind enough to yourself to meet your meet you where you're at, you know, because you can't just mm -hmm. start affirmations on Monday and then your life is 
magic on Tuesday. It just doesn't, it doesn't work, but like, that's what people are being sold. (laughs) Like it's what people are being sold. And then the shame gets activated and then it's like Pandora's box opens and there's all this other stuff that's been hidden, you know? Uh And Lara Uh along, along with that. So very much what Carrie's saying, I I have days, like it's been very interesting in the recent days with, you know, the, there's these fires and, you know, feeling, you know, everything's cloudy and then a little bit of bad news about a friend that passed that was young and, you know, all these things that don't feel good. They don't feel good. And so sometimes it's giving yourself permission to go curl up in the bed and just like get cozy a little bit and truly like have chocolate chip cookies and a glass of milk and like to comfort and nurture yourself because that's what we would do with a child. That's what we would do with a dog that's scared of a thunderstorm. We would nurture them. And yet as adults, we have shame around, oh, I'm not supposed to feel this way. I'm going to talk myself out of it. I'm going to affirmation myself, affirm myself out of this feeling. I think you have to feel the feeling and then, then you bring yourself to a not best feeling, but better feeling place incrementally talking to the self, still doing your affirmations, still telling yourself, you know, today, this too shall pass. This is a moment when the clouds are here, but the sun is still there. It's just, I can't see it behind the clouds. I'm going to sleep a little bit later. I'm going to get the chocolate chip cookie and the milk. I'm going to do because tomorrow it's going to be different. I don't know what it's going to be, but it will be different. But to not give honor to the fact that we feel this while we're feeling it, is to not be loving the self fully and completely. Mm-hmm. There are days mm-hmm. that we hurt. There are days that we don't feel good. And we have to allow that so that we can be honest with ourselves and then move to a better feeling place. What I really love with your suggestion, Mark, is that I think just after feeling that, watching something that really makes you laugh and puts you in a different energy that's what I think is the vibration that changes and we attract, you know, different vibrations. So you don't even need to say these mantra that irritates Carrie and I, because it's sometimes, doesn't, you know, but it's the vibration that is, it's not really what you're saying. It's the, you know, the vibration you're in because you, you realize sometimes when you're in that mood, Things happen to you, like, without even asking for them. Like, you know, you're in the car, you're laughing, and then you find a place to park in the most awkward place in the city. And Lara, that's it. That's it. That's what it is. The laughter is, it's, it's, it's because it's an authentic energy. In that moment, if you're laughing, you're truly laughing, the energy does change because it's authentic. Sometimes when we're doing affirmations, it's not authentic. We're trying to convince ourselves of a truth that is not what our truth is. But when the energy actually changes because something becomes so ridiculous or something is so, by the way, I'm just going to say, I did it this morning. You know, I did, I had some, some not so good news. And this morning I was thinking about it and I went, you know what? I know what I'm going to go to. And by the way, it was flipping hysterical and it was someone doing a Shirley Temple uh, impersonation in the most ridiculous <laughs> way. It was this man in drag doing the Shirley Temple impersonation. <laughs> and I was doubled over <laughs> laughing and I felt so much better. And my day started so much better. And I knew I was like, okay, I need something that I really think is going to be hysterically funny. And I watched this thing and I laugh for about 10 minutes. Um, there's an old Steve Martin movie and I still remember it. And I can, it, it's uh, the man with two brains. And they have this funny way of saying a name. And the name was, and I still remember, uh, uh, Anne 
Uh, oh my gosh, now I'm forgetting it. Uh, 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 uh Mal Mahay. That's what she'd say. And I remember yeah. watching that and I kept playing it. I was watching it on videotape. That's how long ago this was. And I played it over and over again and I just laughed and I laughed and I laughed. I can still go back and watch that scene and still laugh no matter what's happening. Yeah. We all and that's have the antidote. Theme, that's we? what it is. Yeah. It's like something that changes the energy authentically so that you can just move up that little emotional scale, just one or two steps. It's a better feeling place, even if it's not the best feeling emotions place. are just energy in motion. They want to move out of us. So if you feel yeah. it, it will yeah. it'll crest. Like you'll feel awful for a second, but it will pass through. It's funny, Mark. I worked with a shaman in my early twenties and she would would always tell me to do that. Well, if you have to cry it out, watch something really sad and then watch something really happy. And so it works. It works. Mm. Oh, 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 the name was, her, she says, she says, uh, my, uh, I, I, and I forget, I was someone with a really like pleasant voice. And she said, my name is Anne. And uh, uh, my own Mahay. And that's how she said it. Even now, like, like I, that was when I was a teenager. And even yeah. now, like, I'm recalling that and it makes me laugh. So, so, and Carrie, very interesting what you said right there. To watch something sad or listen to something sad yeah. and then something ridiculous right after it, the extreme of emotions. Yeah. Because as Carrie said, emotions are, they're temporal, they're moving through. Our job is to, recognize them and let them move through yeah. instead of holding on to it. I'm going to hold on to my pain, hold on to my grief, hold on to my happiness. Oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. that's one of the hardest things you can do. <laughs> one, one quickly, quickly one, uh, one more. When you, um, you know, you, you, something happens, you have a feeling, an emotion. And sometime when we are young, we just, we say that it stays as a trauma because we didn't process that feeling. Right. Okay, but we did feel it. We did feel it. So what's the difference in feeling it and let it? And I probably asked this question 100 times, but who cares? I'm going to ask it again. What's the difference into feeling it and let it move through you? And then what happened when we're young? Why do we feel it and it stayed anchored in our body? Is it because we don't understand it? I don't... What do you think it is, Karen? I mean, from my perspective, there wasn't a lot of feeling going on. <laughs> like When you were young? Well, in no? these generations, definitely not our generation. You know, our parents, in order to survive, are very repressed or emotionally immature, whatever you want to call them. So, like, the, we, a lot of us didn't feel, and we grew up... But when something happens, you feel it. Yeah, but back like then you're, you're, it was like, rub some dirt on it. You're fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I see that yeah. over and I think we have shifted that, you know, the pendulum has swung the other way. So in terms of feeling it, it's it oftentimes, from my experience, people are highly uncomfortable to sit and feel oh, my dad just died, or I'm getting divorced, or I lost yeah. my money, or whatever those examples are, to actually sit and feel it and have the rage come up, have the fear, the the sorrow, whatever. Because if you sit with it, it, it actually moves through us really, really quickly. Can we dedicate as an episode just on yeah. that? Because I understand what you're saying, but I'm still not... Yeah, understanding properly. Like, what's I, I, the I'm difference gonna, with tease, feeling and feeling? Tease one little <laughs> yeah. part of it, then, and it's yeah. a it's a longer thing. But and this is something Carrie and I talked about. This is years yeah. ago, Carrie. But um, PTSD. So one of the things that happens is you feel it when it happens, 
but we go into almost a little place of shock and we don't process yeah. it. So in the hemispheres of the brain, one of the things that EMDR helps us with, and EMDR is uh, yeah. uh, accessing different hemispheres of the brain, then we fully process emotions. But sometimes in the moment when something is really shocking or something is really traumatic, we don't fully process it. We feel something, but it's yeah. too much. It goes into overload. And so the brain goes, okay, I'll, I will pick that yeah. up later and deal with it. But then it doesn't. So then we keep re-experiencing it as this trauma that never got processed. That's why work like hypnotherapy, family constellation therapy, and EMDR until you do the work to bring it out and feel it, the tools. So that's what I'd like to dedicate the next, uh, please, because I want to know once you put it somewhere in your brain because you didn't process it, how do you do the next you know, okay, we'll do that next time, please. <laughs> Thank you both oh, so much. So good to see you. That was amazing to talk about I that. I always um, love being the one of both change. of you. And wait a minute, one more thing, Larry, I just have to say. So, so if you go back and listen to the very beginning of this to now, you can even hear how our yeah, energy changed. Exactly. In all of yeah. This. yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, so good much, to see Mark. You. Thank you, Carrie. Love, love. Thank you. Bye. See you next time. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Carrie and Mark about the fear of change. I'm really looking forward to my next conversation with them about this mystery of what's the difference with just feeling a feeling and not processing it properly. I've always been very intrigued about how do we have a feeling that comes from a situation, a shock, or an event that we really don't like. How do we store it in our body as trauma versus completely feeling and processing it? I think the difference is very subtle. And until we really understand the difference, we always put ourselves at risk at creating traumas in our body and our mind. So I look forward to my next conversation with them. Thank you very much for listening. And please, please share this conversation with as many people as you think may benefit from it. See you soon. Bye.